the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Welcome to Hour 2 of tonight's Andrea K. Show. Last hour, Skins and I were talking about if we could go back to a year in America that was like good times, what would it be? And he said 1985. That might have been the year when Back to School, the great movie with Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, you're the wrong Back movie. We're talking about Back to the Future, babies. No. Well, hear me out now. In Back to the School, one of the, one of the greatest comedies of all time, he had a saying, if you want to look thin... Hang out with fat people, right? Well, you know what I say? If you want to sound smart, hang out with smart people, right? There you go. And that's why I'm glad that now. Ooh, nice transition. Tra- Isn't that great? Am I? Am I? I'm sounding smarter I'm already. This. <laughs> I'm sounding smarter already. So um, I reached out to this one of the smartest guys. I can't say he's the smartest guy here at the Answer San Diego because I wouldn't want my man. Pretty darn to be, smart, but pretty dang smart. I'm talking about Gary Quackenbush from the Word on Wealth by Gary Quackenbush, GQ Law, who's heard every day here at 2 p.m. <laughs> If you guys want to get smarter on money, you're going to want to tune in to him. And also every night, uh, Tuesday night here at 7 p.m. And he joins me now. Hello, Gary Quackenbush. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Andrea. Oh, what a funny introduction. Yes, I feel smarter when I'm with you. <laughs> I do. I know more. I mean, I just listened to your show for an hour, and I'm a, I'm a much smarter person. I, my IQ goes up probably like 10 points during the AK show. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad because oh. I don't know how much it dropped last week when you were on vacation in Hawaii. Oh, it goes up. Oh, it does. On vacation, oh my gosh, I relax. My IQ goes up. I my my uh, well, my EQ, my enjoyment quotient goes really super high. So, oh, it's so fun. Oh, so I, fun. Hawaii is one of my most favorite places on earth. So yeah, I'm very jealous that you were over there. But we are glad that you are back, Gary Quack. And and uh, before we get into the news, you can use segment here where Gary actually dispenses being the smartest guy that I know. Uh, some information you need to know about estate planning and wealth. He also is going to be presenting the uh, Quack and the Whack, as in the mm-hmm. wacky news that are happening. What you got for us this week? What's wacky? Okay, so I have, I found a wacky local law. So in San Diego, if you keep your Christmas lights up past February 2nd, you're subject to a $250 fine. Oh, really? Yes, and I'm glad that somebody probably spent about a quarter of a million dollars getting that through the legislature so that it's in the books. <laughs> what kind of Scrooge spent 250 Gs, 250 large ones, man, to oh, ban yeah. somebody from putting up Christmas lights? Some ticked off politician just didn't want their neighbor to have the lights on past February 2nd. I don't know. But this is even better. In Long Beach, it is illegal to curse on a mini golf course. So What? Really? Right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. It's like, yeah. So apparently you have to be really gentle. But I, on, on the big law, you know, the regular golf courses in Long Beach, I guess it's okay to go ahead and swear. 
Well, why and why why mini why mini golf courses? I mean, why would that be? I, is it because I it's expected know. to have children around? So in that case, but st- aren't there other like sp- like uh, sports or activities involving kids that you that you can bowling? Swear? Yeah, like bowling. I, I, w- I, no, I think it's because when you curse, you become more violent, and then you're going to be like pretending like you're on a driving range, driving it down to the Christmas castle or something. <laughs> That's right. I, I think it's an anger thing. It's an anger management. So the legislature has gone, and they're so kind that they're uh-huh. helping us control our anger by making it illegal to curse on a mini golf course. But the best one is the San Francisco law that I found. And okay. I thought this was, for San, for San Francisco, this was the stupidest ever. In San Francisco, if a person is classified as ugly, it is illegal to walk on any street in San Francisco. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Only from San you Francisco. You ugly. You ugly. You ugly, Mahano. Go back into your house. Oh, my gosh. So is funny. this real? Are you punking me? You're punking, punking me right you. now. This is real? I, this is real. California.com. I, it's just, I know. It's like, what do you got in the back of your car, officer? I got ugly people. Are you bringing back? Because, you know, they have, the, they have the dog pound, and I guess that's kind of like... <laughs> So dumb. This anyway. is so hilarious. Well, so, it makes you want, it, it makes you wonder how Nancy Pelosi is roaming around. Who gets to decide? Who gets to decide who's ugly? Because see, to me, that's that's some ugly going on there. She's just ugly in her heart. She's evil. But I mean, and, and when I wonder too, when the last time was any this this any of these wacky laws, um, somebody was held accountable. Like, and how do you how do you enforce that? Oh, I. There's no way. No. So many laws are in the books that you just you can't enforce it. There, there's some old law that came up and you just can't enforce it. That's just the way. It, I mean, there's that's the way. Uh, I mean, a lot of laws are that way. Even traffic laws are like unenforceable stuff, and then they just kind of pick and choose which ones they're going to enforce today. I mean, you see that all over the place. And then they just gosh. stay on the books because because somebody <laughs> did it at some point, and then they just go well, move on. They just leave it yeah. on the books. Yeah, item number 742 on today's agenda. We want to remove this law that says if you're ugly, you can't walk down the street. How many of you vote for that? You know, you guys are discriminating because I'm ugly and you're all pretty people. What's the hell? You know, oh my gosh. I don't know. It's well, just weird. Well, you know, they're so obsessed. The left is so obsessed with, obsessed with equity these days. I'm surprised they're not scrounging through and saying, look, look how evil, you know, America is. They once, you know, discriminated against ugly people. I don't know. But at That's least it right. gave me a giggle. I mean, I'm glad for that. It, yeah. it, it performed that service tonight. So now we got to get serious, Gary Quackenbush. Okay. Uh, GQ Law, Word on Wealth. Um, I, I've been pondering, and it, this is the news you can use, because I want to do more than just like give my opinions to people. I want to give them content that they can actually take forth in their life and actually make their lives better. And I've been wondering, like, uh, you know, what, where estate planning might play into the lives of people and decisions right now, as we are now officially, as of yesterday, into a bear market, which means that people have lost, I think the definition of that is 20% of the market has declined. Yeah. So now we're into a bear market. Um, Fed's raising interest rates. Mortgage rates are going up. Um, same thing for, you know, barring money. Is there anything when it comes to estate planning that people can do to solve any of these current economic situations? Part of the estate planning thing um, is is the what I'm seeing most of the problems with right now, especially with the economy dropping like it is, 
a lot of people during the good economy, they were like parents had passed away, they inherited money, and they're going like, wow, I'm the successor trustee, I'm holding on to this $500,000 investment account that daddy left us, and I'm just gonna hold on to it because I'm gonna be a hero, and we're making so much money that I'm getting credit as a successor trustee for daddy's money growing, and you know, and then I'm going to distribute it to my, you know, my family, and they're going to be so happy. And what's happening is you get these trustees that, when the economy was really good, they're being really lazy, really slow. You know, thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to modify the house, I'm going to upgrade it, I'm going to do new carpeting, and spending tens of thousands of dollars modifying, upgrading mom and dad's home so that they can sell it for more money because they got some real estate agent that talked them into the fact they needed to spend 50 grand to get more out of it, which is mm-hmm. all garbage. Right. So what has happened is you have this glut of successor trustees holding on to property. And I literally, in the last several weeks, I've met with people and went, you need to go- do it now. You need to get moving, you know, mm-hmm. because you're holding on to, you know, a half million dollars of, of assets and the economy's dropping. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to hold on to this money and wait for the economy to recover and what I'm telling people as as the successor trustee it is illegal for you to do that it's a breach of your fiduciary duty you can't play the market if if you have the money and you have the ability to distribute it you don't have the right to hang on to it until mm. you think the market comes back you've got to get going so what happens is you have these beneficiaries that are now looking at it going Dude, you took two out two years to do this you know the first year and a half things were great and now you know the economy's mm-hmm. In a free fault, that becomes the fault of the successor trustee. And successor trustees end up paying surcharges and getting, you know, their own inheritances reduced by the amount of, you know, speculating they've been doing. So my thing with estate planning is that if you are a successor trustee, you're managing your parents' money now because they're passed away, you just you need to get going. You can't be hanging on to it and telling brother and sister they gotta hang on for another couple of years while you're, you know, modifying the property so that it will sell for more. You just you can't do that. And I'm just seeing so many people that are just screwing up their job as successor trustees, and it's going to come back to bite them. So um, so it's a two-pronged message. One is to the successor trustees who are listening that they've got a fiduciary duty that they might be abridging by not you know doing, doing what they need to be doing here. But also, mm-hmm. if, you, if you are um, not the successor trustee, but you you know, are a beneficiary, you need to be contacting people. How could you help in this situation? What we usually get involved with is if we're working with a beneficiary, we're usually writing letters and contacting successor trustees and saying, hey, you are not doing your job. You need to get going. You know, you need to get started. Um, we need an accounting. You need because the law requires that they provide accountings to say how much money is available, how much money is growing, what money is being spent on. And some successor trustees cheat their siblings by just not telling them anything ever. And then they hold off for <laughs> years and years while they're doing stuff with the money. So I always get really suspicious mm-hmm. successor trustees sitting around not doing their job when they should be you know, distributing it quickly. And I, I just see people got really lazy when the economy is good because people go, oh, that's okay. It's, it's getting bigger. When I get my money, I'll have even more. But now people are getting more concerned. Like, oh, wait a minute. What did you do with my money? Why did you wait for the market to collapse? And of course, so, when we're dealing with families, Gary, yeah. it's tricky, you know, and people, yes. you know, particularly so oftentimes the successor trustee is somebody who was became the successor trustee because that was the top dog in the family, particularly the siblings. And then the other ones don't really feel comfortable 
speaking up and going yes. against it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why it's important for people to hire an attorney to represent them and advocate for them because people just don't know how to advocate for themselves. Um, but, but number one, they don't know the law. Number two, it, you know, if they're if you know they're the runt of the litter, you know, like I'm the youngest. If they're like the runt, they're, they they don't know how to speak up to a sibling. How do you how do you help people figure deal with that aspect of it? Well, the one thing we are trying to do is preserve family relationships. So normally I'm consulting with them saying, here are, your, here are three or four different options. So we'll be sending a letter to the successor trustee. You know, when are you going to distribute? What is your plan? And if we don't get a response, then we kind of we ramp it up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, you, um, you're not doing your job and this is going to start costing you money. You really need to get going. So we end up kind of escalating it to the next level if we don't get responses because we can get a probate court judge to support us and try and force the thing through to get the distribution done quickly. Well, and I think that preserving relationships, it, it, this actually does help with that. I think that's one of the things that oh, people yes. need, to, need to understand is that you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily preserving the relationship by procrastinating and not dealing with it, by avoiding. Avoidance is how you're dealing with it and that's not the best cause for of a, a course of action for yourself or even for your sibling who's the successor trustee because i've learned myself just in life in general that you know you think by not confronting that you're you know you're making things easier on everybody and it just is going to be worse in the long run so this actually helps Great. and then particularly if you get an advocate then then you're not the one sending the letters somebody else is doing it and saying you exactly. know a- acting on your behalf so mm-hmm. um you know anything else that you feel it's important that to share right now with these economic times? I think people need to be really careful and make sure, because you know, we've had health issues for the last couple of years. Those are lingering, they're still issues. I'm still seeing an inordinate number of people that don't have any plan at all. They don't have you know, power of attorney for their kids to help them out if they become mm-hmm. ill. I've seen people that you, know, you think they're going, everything's going fine, and next thing you know, they're in the hospital and it's too late to plan. Um, putting off estate planning is never a good idea getting it done ahead of time, it'll probably surprise you how easy and how it's not as expensive as you think. Are you it's also talking to get done? Excuse me for interrupt. Are you also are you talking about now just estate planning and, and planning in general before somebody gets hospitalized? You're also talking about a medical directive and a living will. Right. Yeah, medical directive. We just dealt with one the last couple of days and that was the big issue is a, a medical directive. You know, if you're going in for a procedure, the doctor's gonna say, Where's your medical directive? You know, if you're going in for an emergency procedure, it's it's almost too late. And if somebody becomes incapac or, you know, unconscious in the hospital, the doctor can't talk to anybody. Um, mm-hmm. And then d- depending on the situation, they may not even talk to a spouse. So the doctor is going to be making the judgment calls on their own without the family input. Yeah, I don't know where we're at right now with hospitals. I know CDC came out today and said you no longer have to wear a mask uh, in a hospital setting. I don't know if families are, are allowed to come in. I know that was a big issue during COVID was that family members couldn't even be in in the room to help make decisions. And so, you know, that's another reason why. Uh, you need to have a medical directive because you may or may not have a family member with you who who knows your wishes and it needs to be documented. So all things to and the and these are these are things that people don't want to think about. But I think with COVID, I think more people are now aware and willing to think about circumstances, particularly when it comes to to medical care and why you need to get your ducks in a row and being thinking about all all of this. And and speaking of preserving relationships, this is the best, kindest, most loving thing you can do for your family is to get your affairs in order. Tell everybody how they get a hold of you, uh, Gary Quackenbush. The easiest way, my phone number is 855-500-TRUST. 
855-500-TRUST. Call me up. I'll help you out. I'll walk you through it as a beneficiary, as a trustee, or I'll get your estate planning documents in order. No well, problem. Thank you for being here with this, uh, with the news you can use, and especially for the laughs, too, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> take care, Andrea. Good luck with the rest of your show. Thanks so much. Okay. Talk at you right. next week. All right. Now, you All two. Right. You, thank you. You guys uh, stay tuned. We got more coming up on the other side. We got some California knows how to party, man. And let me tell y'all the latest the Gavin Newsom and the California Assembly have put together the party plans for you. We will share that with you when we come back from the break. Stay tuned. Andrea K. The Donut Queen of San Diego. It's the Andrea K. Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K. Show. Coming up in our next segment, my friend Scott McKay is going to be here with his Revivalist Manifesto. I'm excited to hear uh, from Scott on this because, you know, we, we have to give you guys the, the veggies every night of what's happening in the country. We also try to give you action items, things you can do to improve your life. That's why we've got the News You Can Use segments with Gary Quackenbush, Dave Elhoff, um, uh, but you know, um, it can, it can get dreary when we have to share with you. And it's because the Democrats are in a full on war. They're on an assault against this country and, uh, they are, uh, it involves the, the, the battlefront, the, the fronts of, of the battle is in many areas. One of which is of course, overturning the rule of law or having two sets of laws against us. And the other in particular, in addition to, uh, overturning the rule of law in this country and turning it on its head. It also is about the, the war against uh, children and the war for the hearts and the minds of the children. And that is, brings me to the two uh, pieces of legislation that California is it, it put in place in the last couple of days. Uh, last week, Gavin Newsom signed a state law into effect allowing illegal immigrants to obtain state-issued IDs. State issue IDs. When uh, when Skins and I were talking about this earlier, you said to me, well, you know, why don't they just go ahead and make them legal citizens at this point? You get an ID, you get to go and you get a driver's license, you get an ID. And by the way, it, you know, um, they, but yet they still are refusing to allow, they still say if you want an ID to vote is that it's racist, right? But one point that you made was, you know, why not make them citizens? And my response was, well, because, you know, illegals in this country at this point get more benefits than American citizens. If you're an illegal coming into this country, why would you want to be an American citizen? As an American citizen, I don't get what illegal aliens get. I don't get health care given to me. I don't get out-of-state tuition given to me for free if I have a kid. I don't get housing assistance. If you're an illegal alien coming across this with, with a baby, you get, you get baby formula down at the migrant shelters that American citizens don't get. You can far, at this point, you can far better. And uh, you get, they get illegal aliens, get uh, tax credits. What, what's, what's advantageous? They, they even have a New York actually even passed a law that they could vote in their elections. We know that's coming. We know they're voting actually in our elections. So why wouldn't they? Why would they want to become citizens at this point? And in fact, I've been saying for a long time that uh, they don't, most of them are not even coming here wanting to be citizens because like on Cinco de Mayo, right here in, in California years ago, Bob Walters reported that in Cinco de Mayo, uh, they were saying that you kids couldn't wear anything with the American flag on it on Cinco de Mayo. We had to fl- we had to fly the Mexican flag in some schools on Cinco de Mayo. It's, it's long since been no longer about immigrate and assimilate. 
So it's not about coming here and wanting to anymore. And we've got 150 uh, people coming from 150 countries here. So, um, you know, state IDs now. Right. The other thing that's that's even worse in some ways is is if it couldn't be worse. I mean, just completely, um, you know, bastardizing the rule of law here. You know, open borders and then, hey, come here and, and you know, we'll give you everything that you want. And if you don't like the, the fact that you end up in Martha's Vineyard, you know, we'll actually have, you know, attorneys file lawsuits for you um, to try to, you know, actually give you money as though you're a victim. Last Wednesday, the California legislature gave its final approval for SB 007, which has des- designates the state, the state as a safe haven for children looking to receive uh I'm not even going to use the words uh, looking to transition to mutilate their bodies with gender blockers as well as transition surgeries. And what's included in here is if a kid makes their way here from a state that's bandit. As as one parent said, this is enticing kids and teenagers to come to California. And if and if the parents don't support it, the parents can be arrested. And vice versa, if there's a parent coming here with a child and there's arrest and a, an arrest warrant for that parent from another state because it's illegal in that state, then California will not allow for that parent. They will provide safe haven. So if you've got a parent that's violating the state law, that's bringing a child here to California from a state where it's illegal, they're given refuge. The next step is for the California taxpayers to be paying for it, Skins. Same thing as uh, the uh, abortion. He wants uh, California to be uh, a safe haven for for abortion, abortion tourism. Now we've got transgender tourism in the state of California. That's going to be next is we're going to be paying for it. California knows how to party, huh, Skins? We need a revival in this country. We need a revival. One of the things that Skins and I have been talking about, well, I don't know if I want to get into that, but in terms of, you know, how, how, how much... As a Christian, I'm just going to say it as a Christian. Sometimes I ask myself, how much Lord Jesus take the wheel? When are you going to come back? I mean, how much lower can we go? We're at, we are at a breaking point in this country. We're a spiritual battle in this nation. We're a spiritual battle of good versus evil. We're at a breaking point. We're at a crossroads. And we can either rally together and take this country back. And this is why they're having to use the full weight of the FBI and the DOJ, because they know that the majority of the American people don't want 13-year-old girls to have their uterus removed and have mastectomies, right? Have their breasts removed, right? They know that the American people is not on board with this insanity that's going on here, right? That's that's why they've got to steal the elections and then criminalize anybody who dares to speak out about it. Um, are we willing to fight for it? Do we love this country enough? Is there enough of us willing to fight for it? And how do we fight for it? We're going to come, we come, we're going to take a break. We come back. We're going to talk to my friend Scott McKay, who's written a book called The Revivalist Manifesto. Hear what Scott has to say about it, because he's like, we, we got to stop be thinking that it's over for the United States of America. Who are the key players to re- issue, uh, to initiate a revival in this country? And what's the manifesto for making it happen? And we're going to talk about that when we come back. AK, Dynamite and Address, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, don't call her fake news. It's the Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K Show. Over the break, I was uh, reading some comments and I'm getting from you guys via email. Love it. I'm going to save some time at the end of the show to read some out. If you want to email me, do so at andreakshow.com. 
andreakshow.com. Our call-in number is 888-344-1170. Our 24-hour hotline number is 844-814-5227. Okay, I've been telling y'all about my next guest coming up here, telling y'all hang in there. I know that the news is bad and it's dreary and the Biden administration and the left in general waging a war against this country. And I told y'all that uh, my my guest here is is got a got a got a plan, got a manifesto, if you will. It's called the Revival Manifesto: How Patriots Can Win the Next American Era. It's Scott McKay. Uh, full disclosure: He's a fellow LSU grab. Don't hold that against him or us. And he joins me now. Hello, Scott McKay. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. Hey, Miss Andrea, how are you? I'm good. It's been it's been a minute, man, as the kids would say, since you've been on my yes, show. I think that boxer Bingle, I think his name is, or Bungle, I think he was just a pup last time you were on. Yeah, uh, well, he's a little of both these days. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Bingle Bungles all the time. But, bingle uh, Bungles. <laughs> everything's good. Yeah. All right. Well, I got to ask you, before we get into your book, the running question of the night, if you could... Okay, you're going to talk about the Revivalist Manifesto ushering in the next era into this, I think, the fourth era of America you're going to tell us about. But if you could go back, like if you could pick a year within, you know, a year or so of like of America back when it was great, what year would you go back to? Um, Well, like, okay, so I'm 52. So it's not a surprise that I would pick like 1987 or 1988. (laughs) Um, I would say like 1988 might have been the pinnacle of. Uh, America's greatness in terms of economics, politics, culture, uh, and so on. I mean, by that, at that point, we were, we were absolutely ascendant. We had won the Cold War. It was just a question whether the Soviet Union was going to completely collapse. Um, I mean, you know, the, 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 the economy had just gone on like a, at that point, it had been like a six year absolute tear. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of all, I mean, American culture, was at a zenith. I mean, it was so dominant and it was, yeah. and it was a positive, uh, patriotic sort of muscular culture that, um, you know, I like people felt good about being an American, yeah. um, in a way that we really have not seen. I mean, I think it's been 15 years of just straight down the tubes decline culturally mm-hmm. and probably longer than that, but the, particularly in the last 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that to me is the biggest concern I have about America's future is that, you know, fixing this culture. Um, and, and like, how do you even begin to rebuild that? Um, which I, it probably isn't all that hard to do when, when once you finally decide to do it and start rejecting the things that continue to damage it. Well, let's get um, into that but, a little bit, because, yeah, I mean, the 80s was when um, the late 80s. I, I'm, I'm kind of partial to the 90s just because that was that was my my era. I love the throwback, my 90s throwback jams. That was my music, uh, you know, although I did like me some Van Halen and some of some of the rock bands out of the 80s. But um, the 80s was really when I think if I can pinpoint when they re- the when the cultural Marxist movement really began to attack and began to get success in attacking our culture was the 80s. I can remember when Dan Quayle talked about Murphy Brown devaluing husbands. And that was when Hollywood really started pushing and began to push uh, their their agenda 
on this country when we really were pushing there. I mean, there had been going back. I mean, you could actually say that, you know, free Mr. Free Chicken in every pot was the beginning uh, was part of the cultural Marxist movement. But that from a different standpoint. But I think I think we began to we I think that's really when there was a full uh, beginnings of a lot of pressure on our on our culture. And I think the Republicans shied away from it. And it can be really how do you put that toothpaste back in the tube? Right. When, you know, when we, we came from back in the 60s, when moms and dads had twin beds and on TV to what we've got going on now. So let's let's talk about right. your book and, and how we can win the next uh, the revivalist manifesto. Scott McKay has written this book, the revivalist manifesto, how patriots can win the next American era. I don't know that we can actually and I don't know how much in your time you spend in your book on that. I don't know that we have to go back to when, um, you know, moms and dads, you know, um, you know, shared twin beds in, in, in a room. But can't we at least get back to what MAGA was about, which was about, you know, secure borders. It was about, you know, uh, uh, come here legally and assimilate into an American culture um, in America. Can, can we at least go back to when we knew what ma- male and female was? Well, what I what I would say is this is, I, I mean, things have gone so crazy now. Um, and the left is so far out over its skis with all the trans mm-hmm. uh, advocacy business and the, I mean, runaway critical race theory and, and um, the cancel culture. And I mean, you know, all of the things that I mean, you talk about on your show all the time, they have painted themselves into such a corner that like Barry Weiss and Joe Rogan are on the same side <laughs> as the religious right now. Um, and so it's it's actually really sort of a striking thing. Um, and one of the things I talk about it in, in my book, and I talked about it in, in a, a column or two that I've written at the American Spectator, is you know more uh, you know Morgan Wallen gets drunk with a bunch of his buddies, right? And he uses the N word talking to a white friend of his as a joke. Somebody like happens to have their phone out and records it and sells the video to TMZ. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden Morgan Wallen has to be canceled because he's a racist. While at the time he's recording a, a rap song where they rap. I mean, like the whole thing is so stupid and they're like, we're going to cancel Morgan Wallen. And so what does the country do? They go out and they buy up every song he's got, he, you know, like within a week of getting canceled, he's got eight songs in the top 20 in, <laughs> uh, on iTunes in the country category. And, you know, and what, what would happen to Gina Carano? I'm like, the country mm-hmm. is so sick and tired of all of this, you know, cancel culture and the cultural Marxist, you know, never ending uh, aggressions that pretty much every one of them now backfires. If you'll notice, I mean, there's there's a popular backlash on all of this stuff. Like people hate Marin Morris now. Oh, yeah. She you know jumped all over Jason Aldean's wife for yeah. saying something that was totally I mean, like it wasn't I mean, I you know, I don't even believe transphobic is a thing. What she said was not transphobic. Like, thank you for not like putting me through the trans experience because of the tomboy as a, as a girl. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that makes her hateful. And the rest of the country is like. Yeah, shut up. We're not listening to that, right? Like people are just done. Yeah. And so that to me is a really great point to start from. Once you get to the point where you start to realize, okay, now is the time for the pendulum to swing back. And when it swings back, it needs to swing further than just the middle, 
right? Like yeah. we have to reset this thing to a point where American culture was actually doing well. American politics was actually producing some solutions for people and American economics actually work for the American people. And I think that you can get there, but it's going to involve, and I talk about this in the book fairly extensively, it's going to involve a better Republican party for sure. And also a better, um, a better right. And I don't even want to use the word conservative because there's not really much that you know, you'd get excited about conserving right now. Right. What you need is a revival and not a conservation. Right. So that's where the, the term revivalist comes from, which is, you know, yeah, OK, we come from the same place that conservatives do. But this is a movement that goes on offense. Yes. Right. And, you know, and of course, a lot of this is wrapped up in a lot of the things that Donald Trump did as president. Um mainly that he banished the Bush Republican crowd from the leadership of the party, which, and I talk about that pretty extensively in the book. I mean, these were the guys who thought their role in American politics was to be the Washington generals to the mm -hmm. Democrats, Harlem, Harlem Globetrotters. And Trump was the guy that came along and said, no, we're going to win. Right. We're going to do the things it takes to win. And he didn't always win. I mean, obviously, I don't think he knew quite, uh, you know, quite what he was up against. Right. Um, but he certainly exposed a lot of the things that, you know, some of us had had, sus you know, suspicions of. Yeah. Um, uh, and now everybody really knows, ex you know, the, the shape of the battlefield. But you look at a guy like Ron DeSantis, who, you know, you could make the argument that he's a Trump 2.0. Right. And but DeSantis is sort of you know, more, you know, you and my generation, right? Like we mm -hmm. grew up with Reagan when we understood what it looked like when Republicans actually went out and won yeah, rather than just trying to hold the line and not lose too badly. Um, and so like, that's our ethic when it comes to politics. Like we're not interested in making deals with people who don't share our values. Right. And, um, and I'm going to give you sort of like the sort of dime store, uh, piece about the the uh, you know american political eras okay well hang on just a second Let me, we're talking to scott mckay author of the revivalist manifesto and this book uh, it, it, here's a little bit of it it says it, it make understanding the the game makes it easier uh than you think to to win it and that in uh the revivalist manifesto uh he sets the scene for you for the fight to come describes the players and then shows how it can be won and that just grabbed me because that's what we need right now we we understand what the issue is to some extent and now um how do we win it so tell us about this this fourth era and what we need to know right okay so the first three eras of american politics the first one started when thomas jefferson won in 1800 and it ended in 1860 when lincoln won right mm -hmm. um and that first era was a democrat era the second era went from 1860 to 1932 and that was a very republican era very you know free market economics and so forth. In 1932, FDR beat Herbert Hoover, and that began this, this third era that continues to linger long past its sell-by date. Um, and the real question is, is that we haven't had that 
like really good Republican Party that would turn over this third era, which has been a Democrat era. Even really good Republican uh, presidential administrations and so forth have not been able to touch the core things that established our current mode of governance, the welfare state, the regulatory state, and so forth. The problem is none of that stuff works anymore. Right. right. It doesn't work. It's all of these institutions are corrupted. Most of them are horribly obsolete. What you have this these massive government bureaus for generally you could create an app to do most of the work that they do, um, you know, and, and like, like they're very sclerotic. And I think everybody has started to get that. The real question is. And, and if people actually had faith in the Republican Party, it would be the majority party in this country. Okay. The Democrats are no longer look at the cities they run. Look at Hollywood. Look at every institution that these people have have begun to control is in a state of absolute failure right now. I mean, they literally cannot do anything right. All right. Yeah. But people don't trust the Republican Party because for so long, what they're used to is. George W. Bush having nothing to say when they're just bashing him every single day in the media. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, his father who like, you know, allowed himself to get taken to the cleaners by the Democrats and he broke his no new uh, taxes pledge. I mean, that's the brand of Republicanism that people are like used to. And they still don't trust the party even after Trump pretty much shook all that out. Well, yeah, because, so I mean, Mitch McConnell is Republican yeah, leaders. Yeah. Mitch McConnell, you know, he's on board with the, you know, joining with the left in this electoral, you know, reform, you know, action. I got to take a break. Scott, can you right. stick around another segment? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right. Uh, sure. We're going to take a skinny, tiny little break. Don't you go anywhere. We're going to continue our discussion with Scott McKay of the Revivalist Manifesto. You don't want to miss another minute. Stay tuned. Andrea Kay, telling you like it is, all while eating a donut. The Andrea Kay Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Rolling into our final segment of tonight's Andrea Kay Show with Scott McKay, author of The Revivalist Manifesto, How Patriots Can Win the Next American Era. So he's already told us what the what the next era is and how we it, it involves a new uh, Republican Party. Um, continue on with that, Scott McKay. <clears throat> Well, I, you know, and we, we left off talking about Mitch McConnell, mm-hmm. uh, who is, I think, the quintessential remnant of Bush Republicanism extant today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but let's remember, Mitch McConnell is the least popular person in Washington, right? Like, that's not Joe Biden. It's not Kamala Harris. It's not Nancy Pelosi. It's Mitch McConnell. And the reason is the vast majority of Republicans out there can't stand McConnell. Um, and of course, you know, it, that he's not very popular on the other side either. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. They hated Mitt Romney and now they get Trump. Right. So, yeah. um, I, you know, the fact that, I mean, that Mitch McConnell is 80 years old. Right. Like, so he's at the end of his run. And the question is, OK, what comes after Mitch McConnell? I look around and all I see is Ron DeSantis's and Josh Hawley's and Eric Schmidt's and J.D. Vance's. I mean, it's an entirely different Republican Party, and it's, you know, it's a bunch of people who are committed to going on offense, to Mm -hmm. doing things differently than they've been done since the Great Society and the New Deal, and and to, you know, fixing 
the problems that those bad policies of, the, of that era uh, have created. I mean, we, you don't have much to lose when it's very clear that these things are just doing damage. Um, and when the other side has absolutely no ideas, but to embrace full on, you know, Soviet style communism mm-hmm. in, in a lot of respects, um, you're going to have one of two things because the, the, the old consensus between, say, the William F. Buckley conservatives and the Daniel Patrick Moynihan's of that previous era, that's gone, right? Like the Buckley crowd is not really ascendant within the Republican Party. Mm-mm. And God knows the Moynihan's are gone from the from the Democrats. So we right? need to. It's so AOC's. And, right. And that. So it's either going to be the revivalist MAGA crowd or it's going to be the AOC, you know, Bernie Sanders, Rashida Tlaib gang that, that take over. And we're already getting a taste of them, right? Because that's kind of what the Biden administration is. And everybody hates it. Right. So, you know, that's really going to be the battle going forward. And the question is, is, okay, you know, do you have enough political leadership on the right? And I think it's evolving into the point where you do um, that you can actually you know, take the bull by the horns and go, start to govern this ne- next era and move America out of the current doldrums that it's in. I think and I think that we're poised for this revival. And, and I think that we, we've got the, the Carrie Lakes, the Tudor Dixons, the Mastrianos, yeah. right, with the, the Blake Masters. We've got the J.D. Vances, Marjorie Taylor Greene. We've and at local levels, we've got people like people that I know running for city councils and school boards across the country. You had Moms for Liberty help flip school boards in Florida from Democrat control to Republican control. And that's one of the reasons why the throwback dinosaurs to the Uniparty, uh, led by Mitch McConnell on the rhino side, you know, is wanting to withhold, you know, advertising dollars that would help, you know, get some of these people over because they they would rather, because they want to do to this MAGA revivalist movement that you talk about, they want to, they want to Tea Party them, right? They want to marginalize this Tea Party, they want to marginalize this movement. And I think that you're right, that they've, that, that the left, with the uh, with the enabling of the Republican Party has just gone too far. When we're talking about little kids performing in drag shows like that video that Robbie Starbuck put out from Chattanooga showing a little girl rubbing a man's crotch up and down as he's in drag, it's like they've just gone too far. And, you know, it is time for and us. Everybody sees it. Everybody sees everybody it. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows. I We've mean, got a minute I, left. And so I want you to wrap us up, tell everybody about the book uh, in, right. in a minute and why they need to get it and how they can get it. Well, this is the thing. If if you're fighting feelings of, oh, America's done, you need to read this book because it will absolutely put in perspective, you know, from a historical standpoint, the fact that what is ending is not America. What is ending is this political era that's over and is just lingering. And all it takes is a push to make it move into this next era that really anything goes and our side could be very much ascendant. There's much more talent on our bench than on the other side's bench. Go to Amazon and search for the Revivalist Manifesto, or what's easier, perhaps, is go to this brand new site that we've set up uh, that you'll love that supports the book at reviver.com, which is R-V-I-V-R.com. All kinds of places on the site you can buy the book and go forward, and you'll actually really like the site. It does news aggregation and video, and it's got you know a whole bunch of original content as well. Well, thanks for being here, Scott McKay. Appreciate you. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks. Take good care. One. Thanks. Go Tigers. And you guys, 
Go on. Have a great night. But come back here tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Peace out. Love you all. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.